A reading from Genesis. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will bless, that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless, who bless you and the ones who curse you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Romans. What then are we to say was gained by Abraham, our ancestor according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to one who works, wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as something due. But to one who without works trusts him who justifies the ungodly, such faith is reckoned as righteousness. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of us all, of all of us. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. The word. things be 
Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. Yet we do not receive our, you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn. But in order that the world might be saved through the Gospel of the Lord. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The Old Testament reading from today is what I believe one of the most important in all of Scripture. I've taught about it, preached about it a lot, countless times to youth groups, young adult groups, even entire congregations. But it's one of those, one of those Scriptures that is sometimes hard for the modern mind not to misunderstand. There is an impediment to us grasping what is really going on. You see, we are post-enlightenment people. And as a result of the enlightenment, we believe in a world which runs according to a natural order. And we naturally think of God's activity as impinging on that natural order in a way we might call supernatural. And when we see an act of God, something we readily take as an act of God, we take that as a sign of what we should do. It's an act of taking evidence and reasoning to conclusion. If one of us heard a voice and we knew it wasn't the result of just our own mind coming from heaven telling us to do something, we'd likely do it. Because in that moment we'd have proof that God exists and that God wants us to do something. Acting on that word would be the rational thing to do. That is not the world Abraham lived in. And it is not how the writers of Genesis understood the world to work. For them, there was no natural order. Everything that happened was the activity of unseen forces and spirits. The world was understood to be populated by spirits, demons, angels, and gods. And it was quite a common experience for someone to hear the voice of one of those beings and act upon it. Or not. You see, you never knew what it was that was talking to you. Gods were understood often to be malicious, 
not very helpful. They didn't really care about people. When Abraham hears that voice from the sky, he has no reason to do what he did. His act, in some ways, was an act of madness. He leaves a place that is safe and secure, where he has wealth and power. He's lived to a healthy old age. And he's going to leave that place of safety and security and walk out on a road not knowing where it goes, not knowing if the promise given has any substance to it at all. He has no reason to trust the voice of God. No miracle is given to him. No grand vision. Just a word. Go out in the desert and there I'll make you a nation. His act is not a rational act. So why do it? Why take a risk on a road not knowing where it leads? Why leave a place of comfort and security for a life of radical insecurity, trusting what you have no reason to trust? Perhaps because Abraham was uncomfortable with his comfort familiar patterns of life, a place of safety and security didn't give him what he really wanted out of life. And we all find ourselves, hopefully, in places like that from time to time where comfortable patterns of life become really patterns of death. Paul tells us that that is the very image of faith, an image of a life lived in radical risk and venture, Will you take an adventure knowing it's going to be difficult? Not knowing where it leads, but trusting that maybe somewhere out there, there is a better life than the one you've known. One that has a chance to really deliver. A God that gives life. And so Paul's description of faith is more about questions than answers. The image of Abraham brings up a series of questions for us. What would you give to really live? What would be worth throwing out everything you know, everything that's safe and secure? Have the patterns of your life become patterns of life or patterns of death? And what would it mean to break free of those patterns? Is there a risk an adventure calling you out to a place that you've never been, a place which is in some way objectively madness? And doesn't that on some level excite you? Or does it? You see, when Nicodemus is confronted with the strange alien words of Jesus here, what he's being confronted with is the very reality of faith. The wind blows where it will. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with the Holy Spirit. Is that the kind of life you want? Not knowing where you're coming from or where you're going, but living in a radical adventure with the living God? Strange and mysterious are words of being born from above. Just like God is strange and mysterious. 
Nicodemus' mistake is to try to take these words and put them into some kind of simple scientific understanding. To take the reality of the life Jesus is offering and to tame it. To put it into a box that can be neatly understood. To deny the risk that Abraham took. I've got to say, as I've said, I've preached on those words from the Old Testament many times. But only recently did I have an experience that fully had me understanding what Abraham did. But before I tell that story, I want to comment on someone else. Abraham didn't walk out into that desert by himself. Other people went with him. As much as Abraham has put up as an image of faith, I'd like to put up Sarah as an image of faith. Perhaps even more profound than her husband. Because she doesn't even hear the voice. But she takes Abraham's call as her own. Those around Abraham take his call as their own. And as much as it is a miracle to take a risk on a voice that you hear from from the sky. It may be just as much a miracle to take a risk on another human being. Recently... I met someone who had a shared interest with me. And we saw in our shared interest an opportunity. An opportunity to do something different. To do something new. And we both knew that it was going to be hard. That we had to take a risk on each other and on the situation. And that it was going to cost a lot. But we saw an opportunity and we both felt in that opportunity the call of God. And it was the first time I had clearly heard God's call in a long time. But from the outside, analyzed from a strictly rational point of view, it seemed madness to me. And for that very reason, I had to give it a chance. And I was worried about how the people around me would react. And I knew it was going to be hard on my wife. But those people, them and her, decided to walk with me. And it was hard, and it is hard, and it's cost a lot. But the utter joy of taking a risk on doing something new and different is the very life of God. To take a risk on a relationship with a stranger, with someone you've loved for a long time, or with a God you've never really seen. That is to walk out of death into life. That is to share in the sacrifice of risk that God gave us and to live truly. Amen.